today. You see the graphic up there, lost and found. Since we're about to reach out to the lost, I want to read one simple verse to you. This is Jesus telling us why he came. So let's just read it together. It's just a few words. Read it good and loud. Let's all preach together. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's Jesus telling us in a nutshell why he invaded planet earth. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. I pray that the fire of evangelism will be lit in this church like never before. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit, to the reality of the lost, the power of the gospel, and the mission that you have on our church. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbor, Jesus came to save the lost, and you can be seated. Amen. It's an honor to me to join hands with Billy Graham and uh, hundreds of thousands of churches around America in this outreach this week. Now, I want you to notice, Jesus came to save lost people. Now, if I said that on NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, many of the networks, they would look at me like, what are you talking about? We're not lost. We're fine. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. There's no sin. There's no lostness. There's no spiritual uh, repercussions for living a sinful life. As a matter of fact, there's no sin. That's what we would be told. But that is not what the Bible testifies. The Bible says that until we meet the Savior, Jesus Christ, every man and every woman is lost. Lost. Think about the power of that word. And, and listen to just some of the alls and nuns found in Romans chapter 3 alone. We just Romans 3. Listen to this. There is none righteous. No, not even one. They've all turned aside. They've all become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. And then Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short. The Greek tense there is, all have sinned and are continually falling short of the glory of God. Now, what does that tell us about God's take on human beings? If, if we're not lost, then why do we need a Savior? Because when Jesus came, it was not to tiptoe through the religious tulips and say nice things and look like a first century hippie and love on everybody. He came in a rescue mission. It was a rescue mission, an SOS, a 911, house on fire, people inside, danger, warning, rescue, save. The Bible says we all need a Savior because we are all hopelessly lost. We can't save ourselves. Can't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. We can't do it. If we could do it, He didn't need to come. Now, when Jesus used the word lost, he didn't use the way we usually use it. He was not thinking about, for instance, somebody being lost in the woods or lost and can't find my way home or I'm lost in a big city and don't know where to go. All these buildings, I'm just lost. I'm turned around. I'm kind of confused. That's not the lost that Jesus used. If you look in the language it was spoken in, the original word lost that we, that we translate from, the Greek word we translate into lost, literally means to perish 
to be utterly destroyed, to be eternally ruined. Wow. Think about that. When Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost, he didn't mean somebody just simply turned around. He said, I've come to seek and to save those who, if I don't save them, are going to be eternally ruined, totally destroyed, completely separated from God for endless time. That's what he said. I know that's strong, but that's what he said. So Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save, to rescue, to search out, to find, to knock on the the door, the hearts of the doors of those who are right now utterly ruined if they don't receive me into their life. Because I and only I have come to die for the sins of men and only my blood can wash away that sin. That's it. You can't think it away. You can't think sin away. Uh, You can't deny it away. You can't debate it away. You you can't turn to Buddha or to Confucius or to Muhammad or go hug a tree or find your favorite flavor in religion and be saved. You can't. There is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus. Isn't that powerful? See, our culture totally rejects that now, and that's why we have got to stand up and, and, and boldly preach the truth about this. You can't go make your own religious stew. You can't go out there and just say, I'll have a little bit of Islam and a little bit of Christianity and a dash of New Age, and how about a little bit of Buddhism, and let's just put it all into one pot and stir it up, and whatever I feel like on a given day, that's what I turn to. You will die in your sins. That's what he said. I, you know, I, I can only quote the son of the living God. He was very definitive. He was very narrow. In the sense, he said it's a narrow way. It's restrictive. It's confining. But when you enter into it, it leads to life. So Jesus didn't come just to help us along in some of our confusion. He came to save us. He came to save us from a terrible fate, that of being utterly destroyed from the presence of God for all eternity. Can you imagine? We just experienced the presence of God. Can you imagine never, ever having access to that presence again? Can you imagine that? Separation from the presence of God, I believe, is what hell really is. It's separation from the presence of God, the life of God, the joy of the Lord, the peace of God. And to really be in misery, that's what the word lost means. Lost. Lost. I've come to save, to search out and find the lost person. Now, I find it interesting he used the past tense and not the present tense when he said that which was lost instead of that which is lost. Why do he do that? Because Jesus knew we were lost past tense when Adam fell. He took us all the way back. He said, you are lost because you were lost. When Adam sinned, we all became lost. You say, well, where do you get that, Pastor Jeff? Right here, Romans 5, 12. Through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men. Thanks, Adam. Thanks a whole lot. I'm going to find you when I get up there. We're going to have a talk. Through one man, when Adam 
said yes to the devil was, and, and fell, sin entered the whole human race. We all have a disease. We all have a plague. It's called sin. It doesn't mean you're Jack the Ripper. It means we all have an inclination, a bent towards sin. No one has to teach us to sin. No one has to show us how. We do it just fine, thank you. We're all cut off from God until we've been born twice. Born once, you're blind. Born twice, you see. Born once, you're dead. Born twice, you're alive. Born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're found. Born once, you're dead. Born twice, you're alive. Jesus said, you must be born again. Well, I haven't heard anything like this, Pastor. Well, you've been hearing the word of God. We need to hear this. The whole nation needs to hear this because the whole nation is drowning in horrible sin. And there's only one solution. Look at that cross. That's the solution. That bloodstained cross. Now, in Luke 15... Luke 19 is where we had the, the verse about, I came to seek and save that which is lost. You back up a little bit, Luke 15, Jesus gives three parables where he presents four things that are lost and why they were lost. We first see a sheep, then we see a coin, then we see a son, and then we see an older brother. There's a lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, lost older brother. Now, you may not think the older brother was lost, but he's real lost. I'm going to show you how he was lost in just a minute. Here's why they were lost. The sheep was lost by straying. The coin was lost by neglect. The son was lost by rebellion. And the older brother was lost by religion. So sheep strayed. The coin was lost by neglect. The son by rebellion and the elder brother by the deception of religion. Now, let me just take each of those and just share with you a little bit about each one because each one points to something that, that plays a part in people losing their soul. So here's the first one. The, the sheep are lost by straying. Now, you know this parable. We know Jesus as the good shepherd, the great shepherd. But the parable, he said, there was a man that had a hundred sheep, a shepherd that had a hundred sheep, and he woke up one day and realized that one of them was gone. So he left the ninety and nine and ran to find the one that had strayed. There was an urgency about it. He said, I got to find that sheep. He searched and scoured the countryside, the woods, the fields, the meadows, everywhere. I got to find that sheep, find that sheep, because... That sheep is in trouble if I don't find him. There was urgency involved. There was an urgency in the search. That which was lost. He, he left the 99 back here. They're okay, but I've got to go find the one that's lost. You know why Jesus gave that parable? Because he knows that's exactly the way we are. Listen to Isaiah. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, the way I think is best, what looks best to me, what seems right, looks right, feels right. That's my own way, my own stubborn way. We've all turned to our own way, and because of that, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of all of us. Ask any shepherd, and he'll tell you, 99% of the time when a sheep turns up missing, he has strayed. And that's exactly what we do. And that's why Jesus gave the parable. The word astray, has gone astray, means to wander around aimlessly. It, it, it is a picture of futility. You've seen a hamster on a hamster's wheel? 
Now he's running. Say, where are you going? I don't know, but I'm going somewhere. He's going, but what is he doing? He's not getting anywhere. He's just running on that wheel. He's not getting anywhere. And that is a perfect picture of futility. And that's what it means when you have strayed from God. You walk in aimless circles, never really getting anywhere, never finding the truth, never connecting with God, never really finding peace, and certainly not getting eternal life. You are this. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, said Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. All is vanity. That means futility. Until you find God, you will live a life of futility. And that is the picture of the straying sheep. He's wandering in aimless circles, but he's not getting anywhere. He's lost. Now, here's why there was an urgency to find him. The shepherd said, I got to go. I got to find him. Why? Because here's what a real sheep will do. A real sheep will get out there. He'll stray away from the flock. And he will, he will go into a meadow or something, feed or graze for a while, and then he will lay down. And when he lays down, he rolls over on his back. And when he rolls over on his back, he can't roll back over. And he becomes what the Bible calls cast, C-A-S-T, cast. A shepherd will say, oh, my sheep is cast. What happens when they become cast? Four legs up in the air. Bah, bah, I can't roll back over. The blood begins leaving their extremities and they begin to perish because they can't roll back over. They can't help themselves. They become totally, completely stuck. And that's what happens when people wander away from God. Do you know there's a whole lot of people out there right now? Help, help, help. And the only thing that can save them is a shepherd finding them and standing them on their feet. And when a shepherd finds a cast sheep, he rubs his legs until the blood begins to circulate again. And when Jesus finds a lost sheep, he rubs the legs, so to speak, until his blood flows through their life. Cast sheep, strange sheep. Jesus died. And rose again from the dead so that he could save that which was lost by straying. But then there's another way to also be lost. And that's by neglect. Now here we have a woman who's wearing a ten coin necklace. The coins on the necklace are drachmas. They are, I believe, silver coins, very valuable. And it was very common for women back in those days to wear this ten coin necklace. And what happened was this woman is cleaning her house, going about her life, and she is not aware that one of, the, one of the fasteners that is holding one of the coins in place has become loose. And it gets looser and looser and looser as time goes by. And one day when she doesn't even know it, she's not even aware it has fallen off. The coin drops, rolls off somewhere, and she happens to look down later and realize that there is an empty place where there used to be a coin. And she says, oh, no. And again, there's urgency. She says, I got to find that coin. So she grabs a lantern and grabs a broom and goes all through the house, sweeping under the furniture, sweeping the, uh, uh, under the bed, sweeping, looking, shining the light, trying to find the coin. And in both instances of the sheep and the coin, Jesus said, 
It, there was great rejoicing when they were found. And then he said, so it is in heaven. When one sinner repents, there is great rejoicing amongst the angels of God. Great rejoicing over just one sinner. She lost the coin by neglect. Jesus is saying we lose our souls by neglect. There are people right now out there focusing on everything in the world except their soul, which is the coin and is the sheep. In America, we are all messed up in the way we're thinking anymore. Our focus, we major on minors and minor on majors. We focus on things that don't really matter. Who cares what's going on with the Kardashians? I don't have time to keep up with the Kardashians. I'm too busy keeping up with Jesus. That's free. You know, there's people going to deep depression when one of these people divorces. Who cares? There's a lost coin and there's a lost sheep. The soul of men. We invest all of our energy into homes, cars, material acquisitions, getting that six-pack abs Some of you are working on your 12-pack, and you're doing real good. (laughs) Health food, sports teams, 401Ks, and all these things perish with time. They don't matter. When your moment comes, they don't matter. Jesus once asked this question. He said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses the coin, the sheep, the soul? What will it profit the man? So you can become a multi-billionaire, become famous, infamous, own the world. You can have everything, be a king, be a president, but one day you will die and you can't take anything you have acquired with you. Bill Gates won't take one computer with him. You don't take it with you. I've never seen a U-Haul at a funeral. You don't do it. When you die, the same way you came into the world is the way you go out. Naked I came into the world, naked I leave. You don't take any of it with you. Jesus talked about a rich man that had the mentality of a good American today. He said this rich man lived to acquire money and things and stuff and materialism. He, 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 He did this very thing. He gathered up riches for himself all of his life, became very wealthy. He was a very wealthy man. He fattened his 401k until he said to himself, okay, I can kick back now, go live on the golf course, and I'm going to have a great old time and live life to the fullest. And right when he was retiring, God said this to him, you fool. This very night, your life is going to be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? In other words, everything you've worked for to acquire, all these material things, somebody else is going to enjoy it. You can't take any of it with you. The kids are going to fight over it. All the in-laws and outlaws are going to get it. But you're not taking any of it with you, sir. You've been a fool. You have put your whole life into acquiring stuff. And he goes on to say, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not 
rich toward God. If you live for yourself and you die unto yourself, you have played the fool. You have lived stupidly. Because tonight, your soul could be required of you. How many people got the gold watch and said goodbye and had the goodbye party at work and within a couple of months were gone? What is your life? James said, it's a vapor that appears for a little time and then passes away. It's like a morning fog. A morning fog can be so thick you can't see your hand in front of your face, but the sun burns it off in an hour or two and it's gone. That is your life. It is a dash. It is a blink. It is a camera flash sandwiched between two eternities. The important thing is, did you send it ahead of you? You can't take anything with you, but you can send riches ahead of you. Jesus said, don't, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and where a thief can't break through and steal and the IRS can't get it. I added that. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What was Jesus saying? If you live for me and you sow your life into my kingdom and you reach people and you pray and you bear spiritual fruit and you glorify God in your life, then you are sending riches and treasure ahead of you that nothing can steal, nothing can take away. You will not be disillusioned. You will not wake up and realize that heaven's stock market has crashed. It will always be there. So Jesus was saying, focus on the things beyond this life. Don't be irresponsible here, but always be looking looking. I'm going to go one day. So I'm sending riches. I'm sending treasure ahead of me. I'm going for eternity to that place called heaven. And so I'm preparing for it now. Listen, this life is only the dress rehearsal for heaven. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost by straying and lost by neglecting their souls. And then we come to the prodigal son. Everybody knows about the prodigal son. Let me just hit the highlights of his life. One day he woke up and decided he didn't like the father's house anymore. Something had begun to get into his mind and convince him that things were better. Life was better in a place called the far country. He heard about all the partying and fun and women and song and uh, all the, the, the things people were doing in that place called the far country. And it just began to eat on him until he became so discontent in the father's house that he went to the father and demanded his inheritance. And you know what the father did? He sadly gave it to him. Let me tell you about God. If you insist on going your own way long enough, God will finally say, okay, go. Where you're going to end up is the far country. The reason it's far is because any place you go that is away from God is far. So he said... Give me my inheritance. I'm leaving. The father watched him walk out the door, watched him disappear over the horizon. When the son got to the far country, it was everything he had imagined and more. I mean, there was women, wine, song, endless partying, tons of friends. He was probably saying to himself, I should have done this sooner. But then the money ran out. And a famine came to the far country. It always does. 
When you go to the far country, there is always a famine. The money ran out, and guess what? When the money ran out, all his fair-weather friends disappeared. They always do. And he was left alone, disillusioned, dejected, in despair, sitting there in regret over the poor decisions he'd made in his life, sitting in the far country. The Bible says that he was reduced to this, having left the father's house who was wealthy and given anything his heart ever desired, having left the father's house, he ends up working for a pig farmer. And he ends up living in the pig field, in the slop, and got so hungry, he was eating pig's food. You always do in the far country. Snort that coke, drink that alcohol, smoke that crack, live in illicit relationships, pig slop, pig food, food that wasn't made for you. Wasn't made for you. And the Bible says he had an epiphany one day. It says he came to himself, and the Greek language is so strong there, literally, that he, he returned from a state of insanity. When you say, I'm going to leave the Father's house, you're thinking crazy. I'm going to leave the Father's house. That's not logical. It's not sensible. It's insane because there is nothing out there in that world for you or for me. You will end up in a far country eating pig's food, living like a pig, living in filth, and regretting your decisions. I guarantee you every time. So it says he returned. Now, the prodigal's problem had been rebellion. He decided he was sick of the father's rules, sick of his father's house, sick of his father's work, and no doubt about it, he was sick of his father. Convinced he was walking away into freedom, he instead walked straight into bondage, slaving away for an uncaring boss, eating pig's food, living in filth, and crushed by bad decision-making. He woke up one day. Oh, did it hurt. Oh, did it hurt. What have I done? How have I ended up here? Eating this, doing that, going there. How have I gotten here? You leave the Father, you can do anything. Bad. The good news is Jesus came to seek and to save the rebellious and to bring them home. And the son went home. And when he went home, the father put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and new clothes on his back and killed a fatted calf and threw a great big party. And that brings us to number four, the elder brother. The elder brother saw all of this, and he went completely and totally ballistic. And here's what he said to the father. He said, what are you doing celebrating the return of this whoremongering, inheritance-squandering, money-wasting son of yours? He was not rejoicing that the that little brother had come home, he was angry that the father was showing mercy to him. And that shows me he was lost in the house. Now watch this. And I want you to picture him playing a violin because this is worthy of a violin. I love the way Jesus put his words. The, the elder brother looks at the father and says, Lo, I have been with you, serving you. It's almost a country song. Lo, I have been serving you. 
I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. What is he doing? He's saying, look at my performance. I have not broken your rules. I have dutifully done what you gave me to do. Look at the way that I've lived. And you never threw a party for me. He betrays himself by the words of his own mouth. I, 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 I. Because everything he mentioned had to do with performance and not grace. See, religion is always do, do, do. But grace is always done, done, done. We don't walk by our own performance. We lean on the performance of the Lord Jesus Christ who never sinned, never had to say, Father, forgive me. When he died on the cross, he was absolutely clean and pure. And that's why the devil made a major mistake because he killed an innocent man. Jesus never had sin. And it says, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. This elder brother was in the house of the father, but he didn't know the father of the house. You saw Billy Graham up there. Billy Graham once said, the greatest harvest field in the world is the church. Because in the church, you've got a lot of people that think you've got to jump through this hoop and that hoop and that hoop over yonder and do this and do that and don't do this and don't do that. And to them, religion or Christianity is just a bunch of rules and regulations. And that is not it. Christianity is, I put my faith in the one who paid it all as we were just singing. I put my faith in him and his walk is imputed to me. His righteousness is imputed to me. And I lean on him. Everybody say with me, I lean on him. How are you going to get through those gates by saying what the elder brother said? I did this. I did that. I served you all those years. I... God doesn't care what we did. God cares what he did. So we put our faith in the one who paid it all. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I needed somebody to wash my sins away. And he did it. How scary to think that the elder brother was right under the father's nose, but never caught the father's heart. The father was showing grace. The elder brother wanted religion. Religion totally blinded the elder brother to the reality of grace so that he lived each and every day trying to please the father by his own good works. And that's religion. Religion will kill you. Religion will give you a nervous breakdown, but not grace. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost by strain, lost by neglect, lost by rebellion, and lost by religion. And these types are going to be in 50 to 60 of our homes this week. And we're going to reach out to them. And we're going to believe God to see. Let me tell you something that I really believe. People are going to get saved. They're going to shock you and shock themselves. God's in the saving business. Aren't you glad somebody came to you and said, let me tell you about Jesus? You wouldn't be here today if somebody hadn't come to you and said, let me tell you about Jesus. Well, now we're going to do it. And we're going to believe God to touch them and save them because if they don't get saved, they're lost. Can we stand together?
Amen. Lord, we just thank you right now that you gave us this word and you gave us those parables to teach us about the value of the soul. Thank you, Lord, that it's that sheep, it's that coin, it's that son, it's that thing most valuable. We thank you, Lord, that this week we're going to see a great harvest of souls. And with your heads bowed, how many of you can say, Pastor Jeff, I know somebody saved, I mean lost. I know a neighbor, a, a friend, a coworker, a spouse, a child, a parent who is lost. Can I see your hands? We all do, don't we? I want us to take hands with our neighbor right now. And we're going to go to the Lord of the harvest and we're going to ask him to bring a great harvest this week. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, knowing that, Lord, there are those who are absolutely lost and therefore are in a condition of utter destruction. And, Lord, we have a burden for them. We pray for them. We believe you to touch them. And now, Lord, I bring to you, now I want you to give their name to the Lord. Just say, Lord, I bring to you and name their name. Name their name. Thank you, Lord. You may be the only one that ever names their name. Hear us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, we ask you that this coming week, Many will truly, literally be brought from death to life, blind to sight. We ask you in Jesus' name to do that miracle.